0: Chapter 4 of the Mysteries of Paris, Volume 3. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Celine Major. The Mysteries of Paris, Volume 3 by Eugène Sue. Chapter 4 The Office. The office of M. Ferrand resembled all other offices, and his clerks all other clerks. It was approached through an antechamber, furnished with four old chairs in the office properly so called surrounded by rows of shelves ornamented with pasteboard boxes containing the papers of the clients of m ferrand five young men stooping over black wooden desks were laughing gossiping or scribbling perpetually a waiting-room also filled with pasteboard boxes and in which the chief clerk was constantly stationed and another room which for greater secrecy was kept unoccupied between the notary's private room and the waiting-room Completed the total of this laboratory of deeds of every description. An old cuckoo clock placed between the two windows of the office had just struck two o'clock, and a certain bustle prevailed amongst the clerks. A part of their conversation will inform the reader as to the cause of this excitement. Well, if anyone had told me that Francois Germain was a thief, said one of the young men, I should have said, That's a lie. So should I, and I, and I it really quite affected me to see him arrested and led away by the police i could not eat any breakfast but i have been rewarded by not having to eat the daily mess doled out by mother Seraphin. for as the song goes to eat the allowance of old sraphin one must have a twist indeed capital why chalamel you are beginning your poetry already i demand chalamel's head folly apart it is very terrible for poor Germain seventeen thousand francs six hundred eighty livres is a lump of money i believe you and yet for the fifteen months that germain has been cashier he was never a farthing deficient in making up his books i think the governor was wrong to arrest germain for the poor fellow swore that he had only taken thirteen hundred francs fifty-two livres in gold and that moreover he brought back the thirteen hundred francs this morning to return them to the money-chest at the very moment when our master sent for the police ah that's the bore of people of such ferocious honesty as our governor they have no pity but they ought to think twice before they ruin a poor young fellow who up to this time had behaved with strict honesty Monsieur ferrand said he did it for an example example what it is none to the honest and the dishonest know well enough what they expose themselves to if they are found out in any delinquencies our house seems to produce lots of jobs for the police officers what do you mean why this morning there was poor little louise and now poor germain i confess that germain's affair was not quite clear to me but he confessed he confessed that he had taken thirteen hundred francs certainly but he declared most vehemently that he had not taken the other fifteen thousand francs in bank-notes and the other seven hundred francs which are short in the strong-box true and if he confessed one thing why shouldn't he confess another exactly so for a man is as much punished for five hundred francs as he is for fifteen thousand francs yes only they retain the fifteen thousand francs and when they leave prison this forms a little fund to start upon and as the swan of Cambrai sings to get a jolly lot of swag a cove must deep dig in the lucky bag i demand chalamel's head can't you talk sense for five minutes oh here's jabulot won't he be astonished what at my boys what at anything fresh about poor louise you would have known roving blade if you had not been so long in your rounds what you think it is but a step from here to the rue du Chaillot i never said so well what about that gallant don the famous viscount de saint-remy has he not been here yet no well his horses were harnessed and he sent me word by his valet de chambre that he would come here directly but he didn't seem best pleased the servant said oh my boys such a lovely little house furnished most magnificently like one of the dwellings of the olden time that faublas writes about oh faublas he is my hero my model said the clerk putting down his umbrella and taking off his clogs you are right jabulot for as that sublime old blind man homer said faublas that amorous hero it is said forsook the duchess for the waiting-maid yes but then she was a theatrical waiting-maid my lads i demand chalamel's head but about this viscount de says his mansion is superb pyramidic then i'll be bound he has debts not a few and arrests to match this viscount a bill of thirty-four thousand francs one thousand three hundred sixty livres has been sent here by the officer it is made payable at the office this is his creditor's doing i don't know why or wherefore well i should say that this dandy viscount would pay now because he came from the country last night where he has been concealed these three days in order to escape from the bailiff's how is it then that they have not seized the furniture already why oh he's too cunning the house is not his own all the furniture is in the name of his valet de chambre who is said to let it to him furnished and in the same way his horses and carriages are in his coachman's name who declares he lets to the viscount a splendid turnout at so much a month ah he's a downy one is m de Saint-Rémy but what are you going to tell me what has happened here fresh why imagine the governor coming in here two hours ago in a most awful passion germain is not here he exclaimed no sir well the rascal has robbed me last night of seventeen thousand francs says the governor germain rob ah come that's no go you will hear what sir are you sure but it cannot be we all cried out i tell you gentlemen said the governor that yesterday i put in the drawer of the bureau at which he writes fifteen notes of one thousand francs each and two thousand francs in gold in a little box and it is all gone at this moment old mariton the porter came in and he said sir the police are coming where is germain wait a bit said the governor to the porter as soon as monsieur germain returns send him into the office without saying a word i will confront him before you all gentlemen said the governor at the end of a quarter of an hour in comes poor germain as if nothing had happened old mother Seraphin had brought in our morning mess germain made his bow to the governor and wished us all good morning as usual germain don't you take your breakfast inquired m ferrand no thank you sir i am not hungry you're very late this morning yes sir i was obliged to go to belleville this morning no doubt to hide the money you have stolen from me m ferrand said in a terrible voice and germain the poor fellow turned as pale as death and stammered out pray pray sir do not ruin me what he had stolen listen jabulot do not ruin me says he to the governor what you confess it then you villain yes sir but here is the money i thought i could replace it before you came into the office this morning but unfortunately a person who had a small sum of mine and whom i expected to find at home last night had been in belleville these two days and i was compelled to go there this morning that made me late pray sir forgive me do not destroy me when i took the money i knew i could return it this morning and here are the thirteen hundred francs in gold what do you mean by thirteen hundred francs exclaimed m what's the use of talking of thirteen hundred francs you have stolen from the bureau in my room fifteen thousand francs that were in a green pocket-book and two thousand francs in gold i never cried poor germain quite aghast i took thirteen hundred francs in gold but not a farthing more i did not even see the pocket-book in the drawer there were only two thousand francs in gold in a box oh shameless liar cried the governor you confess to having plundered thirteen hundred francs and may just as well have stolen more that will be for the law to decide i shall be without mercy for such an infamous breach of trust you shall be an example in fact my dear Jabulot, the police came in at that moment with the commissary's chief clerk to draw up the depositions and they laid hands on poor germain and that's all about it really you do surprise me i feel as if some one had given me a thump on the head germain germain who seems such an honest fellow a chap to whom one would have given absolution without confession i should say that he had some presentiment of his misfortune how for some days past he seemed to have something on his mind perhaps about louise louise why i only repeat what mother Seraphin said this morning what did she say what that he was louise's lover and the father of her child sly dog do you think so why 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 pooh pooh that's not the case how do you know master Jabulot? because it is not a fortnight ago that germain told me in confidence that he was over head and ears in love with a little needlewoman a very correct lass whom he had known in the house where he lived and when he talked of her the tears came into his eyes why jabulot you are getting quite poetical he says faublas is his hero and he is not wide awake enough to know that a man may be in love with one woman and a lover of another at the same time poor as the tender finelon says in his instructions to the duke of burgundy a spicy blade of the right cock feather may love a blonde and brunette together i demand Chalamel's head i tell you that germain spoke in earnest at this moment the head clerk entered the office well monsieur jabudot said he have you completed your rounds yes monsieur dubois i have been to monsieur de saint-remy and he will come and pay immediately and as to the countess macgregor Here is her answer. And the Countess d'Orbigny? She returns her compliments to our employer. She only arrived from Normandy yesterday morning, and did not know that her reply was required so soon. Here is a note from her. I also called on the Marquis d'Arville's steward, as he desired me to receive the money for drawing up the contract which I witnessed at their house the other day. You should have told him there was no hurry. I did, but the steward insisted on paying here is the money oh i had almost forgotten to say Monsieur Bedinot said that m ferrand had better do as they had agreed it was the best thing to do he did not write an answer no sir he said he had no time very well m charles robert will come in in the course of the morning to speak to our master it seems that he fought a duel yesterday with the duc de lucenay and is he wounded i think not or else they would have told me so at the house hark there's a carriage stopping at the door oh what fine horses how full of spirits they are and that fat english coachman with his white wig and brown livery striped with silver and his epaulettes like a colonel it must be some ambassadors and the chasseur look how he is bedizened all over with silver and what mustachios! oh said Jabulot. it is the viscount de saint-remy's carriage what is that the way he does it oh my soon after the viscount de saint-remy entered the office we have already described the handsome appearance elegance of style and aristocratical demeanour of m de saint-remy when he was on his way to the farm of arnouville the estate of madame de lucenay where he had found a retreat from the pursuit of the bailiffs malicorne and Portain the viscount who entered unceremoniously into the office with his hat on his head a haughty and disdainful look and his eyes half closed asked with an air of extreme superciliousness and without looking at anybody where is the notary m ferrand is engaged in his private room said the chief clerk if you will please to wait a moment sir he will see you what do you mean by wait a moment why sir there is no why in the case sir go and tell him that m de saint-remy is here and i am much surprised that this notary should make me dance attendance in his waiting-room it is really most annoying will you walk into this side-room sir said the chief clerk and i will inform m ferrand this instant m de saint-remy shrugged his shoulders and followed the head clerk at the end of a quarter of an hour which seemed very tedious to him and which converted his spleen into anger the viscount was introduced into the notary's private apartment nothing could be more striking than the contrast between these two men both of them profound physiognomists and habituated to judge at a glance of the persons with whom they had business m de saint-remy saw jacques ferrand for the first time and was struck with the expression of his pallid harsh and impassive features the look concealed by the large green spectacles the skull half hid beneath an old black silk cap the notary was seated at his writing-desk in a leathern armchair beside a low fireplace almost choked up with ashes and in which were two black and smoking logs of wood curtains of green cotton almost in rags hung on small iron rings at the windows and concealing the lower window-panes threw over the room which was naturally dark a livid and unpleasant hue shelves of black wood were filled with deed-boxes all duly labelled some cherry-wood chairs covered with threadbare utrecht velvet a clock in a mahogany case a floor yellow damp and chilling a ceiling full of cracks and festooned with spider-webs such was the sanctum sanctorum of m jacques ferrand hardly had the viscount made two steps into his cabinet or spoken a word than the notary who knew him by reputation conceived an intense antipathy towards him in the first place he saw in him if we may say so a rival in rogueries and then he hated elegance grace and youth in other persons and more especially when these advantages were attended with an air of insolent superiority the notary usually assumed a tone of rude and almost coarse abruptness with his clients who liked him the better for being in behaviour like a boar of the danube he made up his mind to double this brutality towards m de saint-remy who only knowing the notary by report also expected to find an attorney either familiar or a fool for the viscount always imagined men of such probity as m ferrand had the reputation for as having an exterior almost ridiculous but so far from this the countenance and appearance of the attorney at law struck the viscount with an undefinable feeling half fear half aversion consequently his own resolute character made m de saint-remy increase his usual impertinence and effrontery the notary kept his cap on his head and the viscount did not doff his hat but exclaimed as he entered the room with a loud and imperative tone pardieu sir it is very strange that you should give me the trouble to come here instead of sending to my house for the money for the bills i accepted from the man badinot and for which the fellow has issued execution against me it is true you tell me that you have also another very important communication to make to me but then surely that is no excuse for making me wait for half an hour in your antechamber. is really most annoying sir m ferrand quite unmoved finished a calculation he was engaged in wiped his pen methodically in a moist sponge which encircled his inkstand of cracked earthenware and raised towards the viscount his icy earthy flat face shaded by his spectacles he looked like a death's head in which the eye-holes had been replaced by large fixed staring green eyeballs after having looked at the viscount for a moment or two the notary said to him in a harsh and abrupt tone where is the money this coolness exasperated Monsieur de Saint Remy. he he the idol of the women the envy of the men the model of the first society in paris the dreaded duellist produced no effect on a wretched attorney at law it was horrid and although he was only tete-a-tete with jacques ferrand his pride revolted where are the bills inquired the viscount abruptly with the point of one of his fingers as hard as iron and covered with red hair the notary rapped on a large leathern pocket-book which lay close beside him resolved on being as laconic although trembling with rage m de saint-remy took from the pocket of his upper coat a russian leather pocket-book with gold clasps from which he drew forth forty notes of a thousand francs each and showed them to the notary how many are there he inquired forty thousand francs hand them to me take them and let this have a speedy termination ply your trade pay yourself and give me the bills said the viscount as he threw the notes on the table with an impatient air the notary took up the bank notes rose went close to the window to examine them turning and returning them over and over one by one with an attention so scrupulous and really so insulting for m de saint-remy that the viscount actually turned pale with rage jacques ferrand as if he had guessed the thoughts which were passing in the viscount's mind shook his head turned half towards him and said to him with an indefinable accent i have seen m de saint-remy confused for a moment said dryly what forged bank-notes replied the notary continuing his scrutiny of a note which he had not yet examined what do you mean by that remark sir jacques ferrand paused a moment looked steadfastly at the viscount through his glasses then shrugging his shoulders slightly he continued to investigate the notes without uttering a syllable monsieur notary i would wish you to learn that when i ask a question i have an answer cried m de saint-remy exasperated at the coolness of Jacques Ferrand, These notes are good, said the notary, turning towards his bureau, whence he took a small bundle of stamped papers, to which were annexed two bills of exchange, then putting down one of the bank notes for one thousand francs and three rouleaux, of one hundred francs each on the table, he said to Monsieur de Saint-Remy, pointing to the money and the bills with his finger, Here's your change out of the forty thousand francs, my client has desired me to deduct the expenses. The Viscount had contained himself with great difficulty whilst Jacques Ferrand was making out the account, and instead of taking up the money, he exclaimed, in a voice that literally shook with passion, I beg to know, sir, what you meant by saying, whilst you looked at the bank notes which I handed to you, that you had seen forged notes. What I meant? Yes. Because I sent for you to come here on a matter of forgery. And the notary fixed his green spectacles on the viscount. And how can this forgery in any way affect me? After a moment's silence, Monsieur Ferrand said to the viscount, with a stern air, Are you aware, sir, of the duties which a notary fulfills? Those duties appear to me, sir, very simple indeed, Just now I had forty thousand francs, now I have thirteen hundred francs left! You are facetious, sir i will tell you what a notary is in temporal matters what a confessor is in spiritual affairs by virtue of his position he often becomes possessed of disgraceful secrets go on i beg sir he is often brought into contact with rogues go on sir he ought as well as he can to prevent an honourable name from being dragged through the mud what is all this to me your father's name is deservedly respected you sir dishonour it how dare you sir to address such a language to me but for the interest which the gentleman of whom i speak inspires in the minds of all honest men instead of being summoned before me you would at this moment be standing before a police magistrate i do not understand you two months since you discounted through an agent a bill for fifty-eight thousand francs two thousand three hundred twenty livres accepted by the house of mullart and company of hamburg in favour of a certain william smith payable in three months at the bank of m grimaldi of paris well the bill was a forgery impossible the bill was a forgery the firm of mullart never gave such a bill to william smith and never had such a transaction with such an individual can this be true exclaimed m de saint-remy with equal surprise and indignation that i have been most infamously deceived sir for i took the bill as ready money from whom from m william smith himself the house of mullart is so well known and i was so firmly convinced myself of the honour of m william smith that i took the bill in payment of a debt he owed me william smith never existed he is an imaginary personage sir you insult me his signature is forged and false as well as all the rest of the bill i assert that Monsieur william smith is alive but i must have been the dupe of a horrible abuse of confidence poor young man explain yourself sir the actual holder of the bill is convinced you committed the forgery sir he declares that he has proof of this and he came to me the day before yesterday requesting me to see you and offer to give up this forged document under certain conditions up to this point all was straightforward but what follows is not so and i only speak to you now according to my instructions he requires one hundred thousand francs four thousand livres down this very day or else to-morrow at twelve o'clock at noon the forged bill will be handed over to the king's attorney-general this is infamous sir it is more it is absurd you are a ruined man you were all but arrested for the sum which you have just paid me and which you have scraped up i cannot tell from where and this i have told to the holder of the bill who replied that a certain great and very rich lady would not allow you to remain in this embarrassment enough sir enough more infamous more absurd agreed well sir in what is required of me why to work out infamously an action infamously commenced i have consented to communicate this proposition to you although it disgusts me as an honest man ought to feel disgust on such an occasion but now it is your affair if you are guilty choose between a criminal court and the means of ransom offered to you my duty is only an official one and i will not dirty my fingers any further in so foul a transaction the third party is called Monsieur Petit Jean, an oil merchant who lives in the banks of the Seine, Quai de Billy. number 10. Make your arrangements with him. You are fit to meet if you are a forger, as he declares. Monsieur de Saint-Remy had entered Jacques Ferrand's study with a lip all scorn and head all pride. Although he had in his life committed some shameful actions, he still retained a certain elevation of race and an instinctive courage which had never forsaken him at the beginning of this conversation considering the notary as an adversary beneath him he had been content to treat him with disdain but when jacques ferrand began to talk of forgery he felt annihilated in his turn he felt himself rode over by the notary but for the entire command of self which he possessed he could not have concealed the terrible impression which this unexpected revelation disclosed to him for it might have incalculable consequences to him consequences unsuspected by the notary himself after a moment of silence and reflection he resigned himself he so haughty so irritable so vain of his self-possession to beg of this coarse man who had so roughly addressed to him the stern language of probity sir you give me proof of your interest for which i thank you and i regret that any hasty expressions should have escaped me said m de saint-remy with a tone of cordiality i do not take the slightest interest in or for you replied the notary brutally your father is the soul of honour and i would not wish that in the depth of that solitude in which he lives as they tell me at angers he should learn that his name has been exposed tarnished degraded in a court of justice that's all i repeat to you sir that i am incapable of the infamy which is attributed to me you may tell that to m petitjean but i confess that in the absence of m smith who has so unworthily abused my confidence that-the scoundrel smith the absence of m smith places me in a cruel embarrassment i am innocent let them accuse me i will prove myself guiltless but such an accusation even must always disgrace a gentleman well be so good as to use the sum i have just handed to you in part payment to the person who holds the acceptance that money belongs to a client and is sacred in two or three days i will repay you you will not be able i have resources you have none not visible at least your household furniture your horses do not belong to you as you declare this has to me the appearance of a disgraceful fraud you are severe sir but admitting what you say do not suppose that i shall turn everything into money in such a desperate extremity only as it will be impossible for me to procure between this and noon to-morrow the one hundred thousand francs i entreat you to employ the money i have just handed to you in procuring this unfortunate bill or at least as you are very rich advance the money do not leave me in such a position me why is the man mad sir i beseech you in my father's name which you have mentioned to me be so kind as to-i am kind to those who deserve it said the notary harshly an honest man myself i hate swindlers and should not be sorry to see one of those high-minded gentlemen without faith or honour impious and reprobate put in the pillory as an example to others but i hear your horses who are impatient to depart monsieur le vicomte said the notary with a smile that displayed his black fangs at this moment someone knocked at the door of the apartment who's there inquired jacques Ferrand. Madame the Comtesse d'Orbigny said, "The Chief Clerk, request her to wait a moment. The stepmother of the Marchioness d'Harville exclaimed, M de SaintRemy, yes, sir, she has an appointment with me, so your servant, sir. Not a word of this, sir cried M de saint-remy in a menacing voice. I told you, sir, that a notary is as discreet as a confessor. Jacques Ferrand rang, and the clerk appeared." Show Madame d'Orbigny in. Then addressing the Viscount, Take these thirteen hundred francs, sir. They will be something towards an arrangement with Monsieur Petitjean. Madame d'Orbigny, formerly Madame Roland, entered at the moment when Monsieur de Saint-Remy went out, his features convulsed with rage at having so uselessly humiliated himself before the notary. Ah, good day, Monsieur de Saint-Remy, said Madame d'Orbigny. What a time it is since I saw you why madame since Darville's marriage at which i was present i do not think i have had the pleasure of meeting you said Monsieur de saint-remy bowing and assuming an affable and smiling demeanour you have remained in normandy ever since i think why yes Monsieur d'orbigny will only live in the country and what he likes i like so you see in me a complete country wife i have not been in paris since the marriage of my dear stepdaughter with that excellent Monsieur D'Arville. do you see him frequently d'harville has grown very sullen and morose he is seldom seen in the world said m de saint-remy with something like impatience for the conversation was most irksome to him both because of its untimeliness and that the notary seemed amused at it but madame d'harville's stepmother enchanted at thus meeting with the dandy of the first water was not the woman to allow her prey to escape her so easily and my dear stepdaughter," she continued she i hope is not as morose as her husband madame d'harville is all the fashion and has the world at her feet as a lovely woman should have it but i take up your time and-not at all i assure you it is quite agreeable to me to meet the observed of all observers the monarch of fashion for in ten minutes i shall be as au fait of paris as if i had never left it and your dear Monsieur de lucenay who was also present at m d'harville's marriage a still greater oddity he has been travelling in the east and returned in time to receive a sword wound yesterday nothing serious though poor dear duke and his wife always lovely and fascinating madame i have the honour to be one of her profoundest admirers and my testimony would therefore be received with suspicion i beg on your return to aubier you will not forget my regards to Monsieur d'orbigny he will i am sure be most sensible of your kindness he often talks of you and says you remind him of the duc de lausun his comparison is a eulogy in itself but unfortunately infinitely more flattering than true adieu madame for i fear i must not ask to be allowed to pay my respects to you before your departure i should lament to give you the trouble of calling on me for i have pitched my tent for a few days in a furnished hotel but if in the summer or autumn you should be passing our way en route to some of those fashionable chateaux where the leaders of ton dispute the pleasure of receiving you pray give us a few days of your society if it be only by way of contrast and to rest yourself with us poor rustic folk from the whirl of your high life of fashion and distinction for where you are it is always delightful to be madame i need not say how delighted m d'orbigny and myself would be to receive you but adieu sir i fear the kind attorney she pointed to ferrand will grow impatient at our gossip quite the reverse madame quite the reverse said ferrand with an emphasis that redoubled the repressed rage of m de Serrimi. is not m ferrand a terrible man said madame d'orbigny affectedly mind now i tell you that if he has charge of your affairs he will scold you awfully he is the most unpitying man but that's my nonsense on the contrary why such an exquisite as you as to have m ferrand for his solicitor is a proof of reformation for we know very well that he never allows his clients to do foolish things if they do he gives up their business oh he will not be everybody's lawyer then turning to jacques ferrand do you know most puritanical solicitor that you have made a splendid conversion there if you reform the exquisite of exquisites the king of the mud it is really a conversion madame the viscount left my study a very different man from what he entered it there i tell you that you perform miracles ah madame you flatter me said jacques ferrand with emphasis m de saint-remy made a low bow to madame d'orbigny and then as he left the notary desirous of trying once more to excite his pity he said to him in a careless tone which however betrayed deep anxiety "Then, my dear Monsieur Ferrand, you will not grant me the favour I ask?" "Some wild scheme, no doubt, be inexorable, my dear Puritan," cried Madame d'Orbigny, laughing "You hear, sir, I must not contradict such a handsome lady!" "My dear Monsieur Ferrand, let us speak seriously of serious things, and, you know, this is a most serious matter, "Do you really refuse me?" inquired the viscount, with an anxiety which he could not altogether dissemble the notary was cruel enough to appear to hesitate m de saint-remy had an instant hope what man of iron do you yield said madame d'harville's stepmother laughing still do you too yield to the charm of the irresistible ma foi madame i was on the point of yielding as you say but you make me blush for my weakness added m and then addressing himself to the viscount he said to him with an accent of which saint-remy felt all the meaning well then seriously and he dwelt on the word it is impossible ah the puritan hark to the puritan said madame d'orbigny see monsieur petit-jean he will think precisely as i do i am sure and like me will say to you no monsieur de saint-remy rushed out in despair After a moment's reflection, he said to himself, "It must be so!" Then he added, addressing his chasseur, who was standing with the door of his carriage opened, "To the Hotel de Lucenay!" Whilst Monsieur de Saint-Remy is on his way to see the duchess, we will present the reader at the interview between Monsieur Ferrand and the stepmother of Madame d'Arville. End of chapter four read by Celine-Major.